This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Good morning, I'm Eldora Ellison. I'm a director at Stern, Kessler, Goldstein & Fox. We're an intellectual property law firm. My background's in biotechnology. I have a bachelor's degree in biology from Haverford College, a PhD in molecular biology from Cornell University, and then my law degree is from Georgetown University. I'm a registered patent attorney, and my practice includes a variety of inter-parties matters, such as re-examinations, interferences, litigation, and this all draws on my foundation in patent prosecution. As you may know, there are currently two types of re-examinations, and we're doing this recording on September 15th, which is the day before President Obama is expected to sign the America Invents Act into law. But as of today, there are two types of re-examination. There's ex parte re-examination, and there's inter partes re-examination. And under the America Invents Act, ex parte re-examination will continue to exist and essentially won't be affected by the legislation, although the legislation will make it clear that such re-exams can be appealed only to the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit rather than to district Interparties re-examinations that currently exist will be phased out beginning one year from enactment of the law. And in the meantime, the standard for initiating those interparties re-examinations will be changed immediately. Currently, one must have a substantial new question of patentability in order for re-examination to be ordered. But under the new law, the petitioner would have to show that it's reasonably likely that the petitioner would prevail with respect to at least one challenged patent claim. So the standard will change immediately, and eventually interparties re-examinations will go away. Post-grant review proceedings are an entirely new proceedings that have a number of differences from inter-parties re-examination. For starters, under post-grant review, any ground for invalidity can be used as a basis for instituting post-grant review. So under old re-examination proceedings, re-examination had to be based upon prior art patents or publications that raised a substantial new question of patentability. Under the new law for post-grant review, a petitioner can challenge a patent based on lack of utility, lack of enablement lack of written description, or based on prior art reasons, including prior public use. So really any ground for invalidity can be used as a basis for attacking a patent. The new law makes it clear that failure to comply with the best mode requirement will not be a basis for attacking the validity of a patent, and so that won't be an option. Another way of instituting post-grant review is if the petition raises a novel or unsettled legal question that's important to other patents or applications. And this is a brand new basis for being able to attack a patent or challenge a patent in front of the patent office. It's not entirely clear just yet what will qualify as a novel or unsettled legal question, but that remains to be seen. And it will likely be used by competitors and others who are interested in the technology at issue. So another one is under prior inter-parties re-examination proceedings, once the re-examination request was filed, the patent owner could not file an initial preliminary response. The patent owner had to wait for the patent office to decide whether to order re-examination in inter-parties re-exam. Under post-grant review, the patent owner will have the opportunity to file a preliminary response, which the PTO will consider in deciding whether or not to institute post-grant review. Additionally, the standard is somewhat different than in inter-parties re-examination. One doesn't have to have a substantial new question of patentability, but rather for post-grant review, one would need to establish that it's more likely than not that at least one of the challenges patent claims is unpatentable. Additionally, there will be some limited discovery of evidence that's directly related to factual assertions advanced by the parties. We have to wait until the PTO issues its regulations to find out exactly what this means, but it probably will be like in current interference practice, where if a party puts in an affidavit or declaration, the other party can take the deposition of the affiant or declarant. A further difference is that re-examinations 
have been conducted by the Central Reexamination Unit, but post-grant review will be adjudicated by the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. So again, this is much more like interference practice. There will be the opportunity to have oral hearings, and additionally, there will be substantial time pressure on the Patent Trial and Appeal Board because the statute requires that the cases be resolved within one year or within 18 months if there's good cause. And then since it's being adjudicated by the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, which is the new name for the Board of Patent Appeals and Interferences, any appeal from that authority would go directly to the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, which is a more direct route to the Fed Circuit than under re-exam. So those are some of the major differences. A petitioner would file his or her petition at the Patent Office and pay the fees, and the fees are yet to be decided. That petition could be supported by an affidavit from an expert or a scientist or inventor, if one wants. The request for post-grant review must be filed within nine months from issuance of the patent or within nine months of a broadening reissue patent. And it cannot be requested if the petitioner has previously filed a civil action seeking invalidity of the patent claim. The patent owner would have the opportunity to file a preliminary response, and the PTO would have about three months to decide whether or not to institute post-grant review. And the PTO's decision on this is final and non-appealable. And if multiple parties seek to initiate post-grant review, the PTO can actually join those several proceedings together. The patent owner will have an opportunity to move to amend its claims. And this is, at least on its face, different from re-examination proceedings where one doesn't have to file a motion to do so. But under the statute, the patent owner would be able to file a motion to amend the claims, and the petitioner would be able to comment on the motion and arguments made by the patent owner. There may be additional bites at the apple, but given the fast proceedings and the fast deadline for the PTO to adjudicate the case, it's not clear how much back and forth there will be able to be between the patent owner, the patent office, and the third-party petitioner. Well, I think the new post-grant proceedings are going to be viewed as creating additional uncertainty regarding patents, and that's because there will be, as I mentioned, additional grounds for attacking patents in front of the PTO. Also, these are new post-grant review is a new proceeding, and so that inherently creates some uncertainty as to how the cases will be handled. It's likely that patent owners will consider delaying filing suit after issuance of their patent until that nine-month window is up, and this may also delay some licensing activities surrounding the patents until this nine-month window expires. I think it's also likely that competitors will have even more incentive to track the issuance of their competitors' patents and follow those patents through prosecution at the PTO so that one knows in advance when the patent is going to issue in case one wants to mount a challenge based on post-grant review. Additionally, I think the existence of post-grant review is likely to shift more litigation away from district court and shift more of it to the PTO and thus create more PTO litigation, as we call it. In front of the PTO, there's a lower standard of proof there's a broader claim construction standard, and the arbiter's different there. The judges at the PTO will be more patent savvy than many district court judges in many ways, and also more likely to be technologically savvy. And then additionally, in front of the PTO, one doesn't have to have standing like one would need to have to have their day heard in district court. There doesn't have to be a case or controversy. And then one final important effect is that the existence of this new procedure is likely to create more of a burden on the PTO and call for a need for many more judges to be able to adjudicate all the cases that it will have to handle, especially in the short time frame that it has. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.